you know, despite the fact that there was life lost, I feel like there's a way for us to find a positive um, in this, like a silver lining in terms of how do we build moving forward? Um, what does the restaurant industry look like moving forward? Healthcare, um, public safety, all these different things. But I think once we do move forward past this, we'll put ourselves in a strong position and we think we'll be better than uh, yesterday. Welcome back to Dirty Linen. This is actually our 50th episode. I'm so excited to reach this milestone. Thank you so much for listening and uh, carrying us along for, must be about 10 weeks. Uh, yeah, so it's always such a privilege to be in your ears. So thank you so much. And it's actually perfect to celebrate episode 50 with someone that I'm so excited to talk to. Uh, his name is Matt Horn. He's a barbecue chef from Oakland, California. And what I really wanted to do for this episode was speak to a black restaurateur in California about everything. And so a little bit of Googling around brought me to Matt and he's such an interesting person. He's a, a pit master, a barbecue guy. He's uh, trying to open a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. There is just, I just feel like there's almost too much to talk about when you think about the US and black food culture and politics and everything that's going on right now. So Matt, thank you so much for diving in with me today. Oh, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm truly honored to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Well, I feel like um, I just want to ask you, first of all, how are you going? Like, what is a day like for you at the moment? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> a typical day right now, um, you know, as you know, we're, we're opening up the restaurant. Um, this a project that was supposed to take us two to three months ended up being over a year. And, um, you know, we're opening in the middle of a pandemic. So literally my days is just every second of the day trying to remain optimistic and to be hopeful towards what we're pushing towards and what we're looking to open. Um, it's a bunch of running around, um, dealing with contractors. Um, usually my day starts where I'm making waffles and stuff for my two little kids that are at the house. Um, they're tired of being locked in the house, but we have to do what we have to do, right? Yeah. And the other thing when I think about California right now is that there's fires, like crazy fires everywhere. Like what's, how's that impacting you? You know, it, it, it's tough. I mean, um, it's, it's already, you know, it's already a challenge when you look at, you know, a lot of people were sheltered in place, but there's been a lot of people, unfortunately, have had to evacuate out of their homes, you know, due to all these fires that are all over. And, um, you know, and then once the wind starts to pick up, it, it starts to spread. So, you know, we're, we're sending a lot of love out to the firefighters and those first responders that are out there, you know, fighting this thing head on. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, we went through um, we went through a good amount of time where it's just the air quality was just so bad. You couldn't even just go in your backyard and hang out, you know. Mm. But, you know, we're getting past it. So it's positive, you know. Yeah, it's such a crush of stuff this year, right? Oh my gosh, it just seems like it just never stops. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's track back a little bit and talk about how you come to be in Oakland in the first place. And um, yeah, just tell people here a little bit about about Oakland and that part of the Bay Area. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, we, we started humbly at a farmer's market um, in the valley, um, 
near the Bay Area. And that's where I, you know, kind of got my start where that's where we were able to put our product out there and just really see how people will respond to it. And we decided on Oakland um, for a few different reasons. One, you know, the the cultural context of Oakland and, you know, it being literally the last stop of the great black migration and just the history there. Um, I think it was really important where Bay Area and Oakland is where we really got our, it's where we really got our start. The people, the love, um, they were really receptive of what we were doing. And, you know, we could have went anywhere. I mean, originally I came um, from Southern California. That's where I was living during the time. And, you know, actually going up to the Bay Area was an adjustment for me. But, you know, it made sense. I mean, the people welcomed us, you know, with love and kindness. And it was just it was just a natural fit for us. Mm. And tell us about your style of barbecue. Yeah. So, you know, I um, I grew up on Southern barbecue, which was, you know, really pork driven. But, you know, when I started my journey with Horn Barbecue, um, one of the styles that really resonated with me was the Texas style of cooking, which was beef driven, you know, and use, you know, meats that were cooked um, on an offset smoker using some sort of hardwood, whether it be almond or, or oak or hickory or that sort of thing. So I fell in love with that particular style and that's, that's the route I've been going. So um, I still do things around, you know, the whole hog and that sort of thing. But, you know, the brisket is the thing, the cut of meat that really built the house. I've seen photos of your brisket and I know that I can't really taste it like 15 hours flight away from you, but it just looks so delicious, like so juicy, so much flavor. Like I feel like I can almost smell the smoke. It's just looks insane. Um, What do you think? What is it? What's this? I mean, you don't have to tell us all your secrets, but what makes it so delicious? Uh, You know what? With barbecue or just any kind of meat that you cook, I think that one of the the main ingredients is love and the attention to detail that you put into the product. Um, When I think of barbecue, I always say this all the time, I like to look at a platter as an empty canvas, like a blank canvas, and the meats that we're cooking, you know, that's our art, and that's my artwork, and that's how I find myself consumed in barbecue, but the, the real secret to it is patience and love and that that care and attention to detail because you know earlier on I used to really just cook everything directly over fire and you know I I, I tried to rush everything but something I've learned in this journey was when cooking barbecue it that patience that it takes that allows you to you find yourself in this ethos of love and comfort and I feel like these are all the elements that go into really making really great barbecue you know um growing up in Australia I mean American style barbecue wasn't really very well known at all and I guess we were you know experts in the burnt sausage and uh, you know (laughs) a grilled prawn or whatever (laughs) but it's definitely become more popular in the last decade or so um, but I think, awesome. yeah, look, it is awesome, but I, th- I feel like we're still pretty ignorant. And one thing that I reckon is really little known is the whole culture around the black pit masters and, um, the, the, yeah, the, the black barbecue cooking of the American South. So can you just clue us in a bit, to, a bit with that? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
throughout history, um, when you look at where barbecues come from, I think, I mean, even like particularly with my family, all of my family, they come from the South. And um, so as I was growing up, I was taught these different food ways. I was taught these different techniques. Um, when our family got together, that was the way, that was the thing that brought us together was barbecue. So you look at it from a historical context where earlier on, um, you know, slaves would take cuts of meat that really weren't favorable and they would cook those meats over a long period of time to create something amazing. And I feel like that influence of course has spread throughout America. And as you've seen now, barbecue is, you know, it went from earlier on where you have like older generations that would just do it just to, you know, to make money and that was their way of surviving or that was what they all, that was the only thing that they knew. Now you see in America where it's kind of like the cool thing to do with barbecue. And I'm noticing that where you see a lot of people a lot more where it just, I mean, from my perspective, it feels like barbecue joints are opening up every day. You know, there's, there's always someone that's looking to get into that whole kind of craft barbecue scene and I enjoy it, but I don't want to forget the, the historical context of the Southern influence on barbecue in the country. Mm, yeah. Is there someone in your family that you really stood beside and, you know, really learned from? Well, you know what, as a kid, my outlook on life was just living in the moment, having a great time. And you really weren't really paying attention. And when you used to see your grandfather standing by this smoker, cooking meats and you see his the sweaty face and you see the the ash on his clothes and that sort of stuff and I look back at it now and it makes me appreciate you know my my grandmother they said she used to go out and butcher hogs and cook hogs in the ground and my father you know cooking us chicken and grilling ribs and it was a part of our upbringing it was a part of my culture and also my foundation so naturally, when I found uh, this way of life and I started to go down that journey, um, it was a natural transition for me. Mm. Yeah. So it's just let's I want to talk about Black Lives Matter and all the unrest that there's been in the U.S. And of course, there's been an, a new upsurge in that with another police shooting yeah, of yeah. an unarmed black man. And it's um, oh, it. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's getting, I'm getting tears to my eyes as I even say those words. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me how, tell me about that and how, how that is for you. You know what, when I, I mean, we're all, I mean, we're all in this world and we're all living and we're, we're trying to figure this out. We have family and we're trying to create memories and, and hopefully the, the majority of us are just, you know, ultimately just wanting to live great lives. But when you walk outside your door and you're, you're, you're considered a threat because of the color of your skin, what it does to you subconsciously and from a generational standpoint, it puts you in a position where you constantly live in fear. And I don't think that that's fair, but this is the country that we live in. And it's tough that to be in such a beautiful country, but to have such um, 
such a difficult past, especially pertaining to, to African-Americans, to black people. Um, it's challenging for me at times because it makes me now question now that I have children. When I look at my, my young son and I see him smiling and he's just enjoying cartoons and toys and ice cream and all the great things that you see kids enjoy. What it makes me question and what it makes me wonder is at what point does my child become um, a threat to someone else? And I think that's the thing that's been a challenge for me. But through barbecue and through through cooking and being a chef, and it, it allows me to not focus on that every day, but what it does is, is like, how am I using my craft? How am I using my platform? How am I using my influence to love those that that don't look like me, but then also those that look like me? You know what I mean? Like during this different, during this challenging time. And when I when I recently saw that video of, you know, of that brother being, you know, shot in the back by the police, it broke my heart. And whether it would have been a white man or a a Mexican man or an Asian man or, or anyone else, I think the thing that hurt me the most is that could have been me. And the second thing is the fact that his children had to see their father shot in the back like an animal. And that's the thing. It's kind of, it just kind of chokes me up a little bit. But, you know, this shouldn't be the way that life is. And even though that, you know, our country has been dealing with this for hundreds of years, um, I feel like now is the time for it to change. And for that to happen, I mean, people need to use their voice. And there needs to, actually, there needs to be a plan on how we get past this. Because the fact that we're talking about racial injustice and police brutality in 2020, it's just, it's just truly unfortunate. I remember my grandparents telling me stories. And their stories was a lot different versus, you know, instead of the police uh, dealing with that, they were dealing with the Klan. Are they dealing with people swinging from trees and that sort of thing? You know what I mean? So for us to be in 2020 to still be dealing with it, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. I, it's, I've spent a bit of time in the U.S. and traveled around a bit. And I, I think one thing that always would strike me is that it's such a place of hope, but there is also such deep division. And I feel like what you're saying you know, as a business owner and what you're doing with, with the barbecue, it's like you're, it's both an outreach project, but you're also setting an example of, you know, of success and making your way and not being ground down. And I suppose just trying to, yeah, find, find that hope and, and try to smooth over some of that division. Absolutely. And, you know, and that, and, and I think that's the real big thing where, you know, I don't wake up every day and I'm like, okay, Am I a threat to somebody or that sort of thing? What I try to do is, is that when I when I wake up and I go out in the world, um, whether it be with Horn Barbecue or any of our other concepts and, you know, what I'm building, we, we show love to people. And I think that with Horn Barbecue, the reason why we've been able to build such a strong following the way we have is that people feel that, not only from me and my wife, but people feel that love and it's expressed through our food, through the craft. It's translated through the food that we put on the plate for the people. And I think that's one of the things that um, is important, not just for me, but for, for other chefs and just people in general. Yeah. Is, 
it's like that showing that love is almost some kind of victory. Exactly. That's wonderful. Absolutely a victory. Yeah. It's, I think one of the terrible things about racism is that it's such a distraction for people. Like you say, it's like your kids, there just, you know, <laughs> wanting to eat ice cream and just have his life and soak up all the things that he can learn. And then to have this, um, the, like, well, I guess one of the major oppressions of racism is that it turns people away from the, all the other great things that they could be doing, like you, to live your life sort of defensively. It's, um, yeah, it's like this terrible other layer to oppression. Absolutely. And it distracts us from just being exactly, you know, who we are and what we were intended to do in this life. When we, you know, versus taking, being intentional with hate and that sort of thing. It's like we rid ourselves of that. And I know it's easy to say for us to all love each other and that sort of thing. But I think the way for us to get there is through action and um, holding ourselves accountable, holding our counterparts accountable. Um, you see a lot of the stuff going on with police right now. Um, you know, with the whole racial injustice and, you know, cops not being held accountable. I think the real big thing about it is there's a lot of really great cops, really beautiful people that are actually out to do the job and we need them to police and protect our communities. But when it becomes a public, a public servant taking the life of an individual or racially profiling an individual because of the color of their skin, you know, how do we move past that? We do that by other cops holding you know, their fellow counterparts accountable. Yeah. I guess everyone's got a, a, a forum in which to hold other people accountable or to call things out. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you faced um, particular barriers or racism as you've gone through your journey of being a business owner? You know what? Um, I've, I, I've actually just, I just recently um, fed a, a bunch of uh, police officers within my area and, while we were doing our, um, created our Horn Initiative, which was pretty much our expression of love and giving back through the, you know, to the community during this time of crisis. And there was officers that, you know, would stop by and they were like, hey, you know, what do you guys have going on? I'm like, you know, we're feeding our community. And I asked them, I said, you know, are you hungry? And they were like, well, you know, no, that's, that's not for us. I'm sure there's other people that need it more than we do. And I said, you know what? We all can use a little bit of love. And I said, and the fact that you are a part of our community, this is for you as well. So you're welcome to eat. And it's kind of like having someone sit down, you know, at your table in your home and, you know, bringing them to your home and showing them that love. But that's what we did. And they appreciated it. And it was awesome to see. But earlier on in my life, I've dealt with... Um, you know, encounters of uh, racism from police officers, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I've never, I've never been locked up. I don't have a criminal record or anything like that. But I have had a, a gun pointed at me by an officer. Jesus. And oh. it, it was a very scary moment. And, um, you know, I teared up and it was, it was traumatizing. But, you know, I'm not the only one that's dealt with that. It's a lot of people that look like me that have dealt with, similar circumstances but there's also people like me that have dealt with a lot worse i mean if you look at george floyd and brianna taylor elijah mcclain it's just you see these individuals that you know they kind of got the short end of the stick you know what i mean so for me i don't i don't carry that with me but what i do is i raise my children up 
in a way to love all people because that's how my mother and father raised me and my siblings so we didn't we, we didn't look at people for for color we looked at the content of their character I mean it's such a big-hearted way to live but it's uh yeah, it must be challenging at times to yeah, it is. to keep that that wholehearted openness and to look past yeah, what's yeah, what's going on? Yeah, that's it. Um, and you guys have got a pretty important election coming up. Yeah, we do. Um, how are you feeling about that? You know, I I feel like earlier on in my life. Uh, I would always say, like, positive, you know, politics wasn't something I was really interested in and that sort of thing. And it's just like I find myself more and more paying attention to it and pretty much just seeing, like, you know, which way is this going to go? What's going to be best for, you know, for the country as a whole? And I think for our country, for us to have strong leadership, I think that's the most important thing. And to be able to have a leader that will not divide our country, but to bring people together not build walls, but bridge gaps. And I think that's the most important thing. It's just like when you have someone or anybody or any group or organization that's that's pushing hate and pushing terror and that sort of thing, and you're, and you're further dividing a country, I mean, think about the generations that come after us, the impact of that, not just in our country, but you know, in our world. And I get that we'll never be in a place that's completely perfect. Um, but I understand that during the election, it's very essential and extremely important for people to get out and vote. Because, you know, we, we need the right type of leadership in the country. Um, and if that, depending on, you know, whatever party that may come from, I feel like we need to have strong leadership and to not divide and further push people apart, but to bring people together. Yeah, it's so interesting. We in Australia we have compulsory voting, so this whole idea of trying to get people to vote isn't something that's part of our conversation. It's just about who do you vote for, not about that you vote. But I know that that's a, a massive conversation in the US, and particularly this year in the context of a pandemic, where it's like, please vote, but then how do you vote? And the whole conversation around the postal votes and um, it just oh yeah. Yeah, it just seems so complicated and I know that it's, um, you know, elections have been affected by particularly black communities finding it difficult to vote and that that feels like, I, I fear that that's going to be an issue this year as well. Is that something that is talked about a lot around the Bay Area? Well, you know what, even, you know, in my hometown, um, I've talked with people and, I mean, a lot of people really rely on um you know, voting by mail. And it's just like with everything going on with the postal service, you know, that's going to be another challenge, but you know, it, I, I wish it was like how it is, you know, where you are, where people just like, okay, who are we going to vote for versus like, you have to kind of get people to go out and vote. And there's a lot of people that don't vote, but just understanding that their vote matters. You know what I mean? Mm, that's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like you have to continue to sell the whole idea of democracy every time there's an election. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it sort of speaks to how much is going on in the US right now that we've barely even talked about the global pandemic that has been particularly devastating for the US. What are things like there um, with COVID right now? 
you know what? It's just, I, I want to say, um, you know, 12 months prior, it was everybody's out and about. Bars are full. People are in public outings. Uh, everything is perfectly fine. It's like now we find ourselves in a world where, you know, everyone's in mask. Everyone's on edge. Everyone is kind of confined to their homes. And, you know, you feel that with a lot of the attitude or a lot of, you know, just the mentality that you see with people now. And we're just like in a different time and people are learning to adjust. But then you have a very large group of people that's having a hard time to adjust to this to this new way of living. But this is what we have to do if we want to curve this thing. I think um, for the safety of our people and the safety of our country um, is something necessary. So however long that takes for us to get out from under this, um, there's other countries that have been able to do it. successfully but i just feel like if we all just continue to collectively work together to to kind of curve this this virus we'll we'll come out of it and i think it's not going to go back to being the same um i i truly believe that uh this is an opportunity for us to build something different even pertaining to the restaurant industry um and i think this pandemic um you know, despite the fact that there was life lost, I feel like there's a way for us to find a positive um, in this, like a silver lining in terms of um, how do we build moving forward? Um, what does the restaurant industry look like moving forward? Um, healthcare, um, public safety, all these different things. But um, I think once we do move forward past this, um, we'll put ourselves in a strong position and we'll think we'll be better than uh, yesterday. I love that positivity. T- tell me what you think it might do for the restaurant industry. Are you talking about wages or what, what, what are you thinking? Well, I think um, in terms of just the whole, the way we look at what restaurants are, I mean, just the whole dining thing. I mean, right now it seems like the trend is going towards, you know, the outdoor dining. Um, there's a lot of places, um, especially here in California where, you know, indoor dining is not allowed. Um, I know at one point it was restricted. I think uh, 20% of your restaurant's um, capacity, but I think moving forward, it's going to make people rethink um, the way that restaurants are operated. And I think um, with barbecue, I think it'll be easy for barbecue because barbecue is just one of those things that, it's always been enjoyed in a backyard or amongst family or outdoors and that sort of thing. So I think it'll be a natural transition for us. Cause I know with our concepts, we have that in mind um, with Horn hospitality group, we're literally focusing more on, okay, uh, what direction do we go with the concepts that we're going to roll out? And you know, that whole, I mean, we're not going to be able to pack out our restaurant on the inside anymore until we get, you know, until we're able to do that again, we need to focus on a solution. And that solution is outdoor dining. Yeah. I think one of the things that I feel so sad about with, you know, I mean, we're in lockdown in Melbourne where I am at the moment. There's no restaurants open. They're just allowed to do takeaway. And one of the things I miss so much is that, yeah, it's, it sucks. <laughs> we're getting there though. Uh, it, I really, I miss that communal experience, um, that experience of being, gathering together with people, people that you know and people that you don't know and that you're part of something you're part of something beautiful and human that's been created around food. But I feel like, yeah, as you say, barbecue is 
like you can't do barbecue for one, right? Like barbecue is by its very nature. Yeah, it's collective by its very nature. So I think it is such a natural and it is outdoors. So it's such a natural way for people to gather. I love that. It's like you, you are, you're well placed to create the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exactly. And I, I just feel like that, that ability to congregate is um, one of the, one of the elements of what makes barbecue what it is. Um, a really great friend of mine um, named Wayne Mueller, he always says that barbecue is the great unifier. And I believe that. I mean, if you look at the influence that barbecue has had and it's spreading throughout the country and the world, it's a beautiful thing. But to be able to bring people together um, and create this ethos of love, um, I, I think that's what makes barbecue so great. And to be the ability to do that outdoors, I mean, it makes sense, you know. Mm. And I think also it's a really great anti-racist project because you can look back at the history of the Black Pit Masters and look at how that those beautiful flavors and that culture has spread and it's traveled around the world. And it's, yeah, like <laughs> what isn't to love about that? It's just such a rich story and, yeah, like to be able to connect with that history is a privilege and um yeah you're part of that absolutely it is i you know and i am and i you know every day um i, I never take it for granted um i mean the position that i'm in you know within barbecue i have a responsibility to not just focus on myself but to be selfless and um in the art and craft of barbecue but to to not look towards not to not look at today, but then look towards tomorrow in terms of future generations and the impact that I'm having with barbecue and how do I impact them with, with horn barbecue in the country or across the, you know, in, in the world. I mean, our plans are to go to different countries and do different things and to kind of spread the gospel of, you know, this, this holy smoke of barbecue. But I mean, that's the thing that I look at is, how am I impacting people with what we're doing, you know? You know you got to come to Australia then, right? We need it. Uh, you know what? I want to come to Australia. <laughs> I really do. Great. I think we're going we're gonna to make that happen. When we do, you know, I'm going to reach out. You are, yes. We're talking for a reason, for a number of reasons, but that's got to be one of Absolutely. them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, it has been such an enormous privilege and joy to speak to you. It's There's so much going on for you for, for the world but there's so much going on for the US it just feels like such a crush of issues and topics but also there's so yes there is there's a positive path forward and you're treading it and um, I really thank you for sh sharing your stories and your wisdom with us today. You know what I'm completely honored and I'm really grateful for you to have given me the opportunity to come on this show and um, you guys are doing some amazing things Anytime you need anything from us, anytime I could be of assistance, you just reach out. I'm here. And thank you again. Thanks so much, Matt. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au 
or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>